This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax must update rewards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome back for the second part of our new mini-series here on the Bike Radar podcast on getting into mountain biking. Last week we looked at buying your first mountain bike, but it turns out that's just part of the equation. You're going to need a few more things before you can take to the trails proper. To help us sort through what you really do need and what things are nice to have in addition, I'm joined by our tech editor-in-chief, Robin Weaver. Hi, Robin. Hiya. And senior tech ed, Tom Marvin. Hi, Catherine. I dread to think about how many pieces of mountain biking kit these two have reviewed over the years so they have a pretty decent idea of what's worth spending your money on. So we're going to chat about safety gear to start off with, about what to wear, what tools you'll need and spares to carry, and what extra bits of kit really help when you're kitting out your bike. Shall we start at the top with safety gear, and most importantly, helmets? So what should you look for when you're choosing your first mountain biking helmet? There's so many out there, Robin. What are your sort of golden rules for choosing a lid? So I think um, of all the places to spend your money, this is probably one of the most important. Um, And it's also one of the places where generally the more you spend, the more you get, which can't be said, you know, for every aspect of cycling kit. Um, But yeah, so uh, a good place to start is just generally um, the safety rating and seeing, you know, making sure it conforms to all the usual standards. But a good place to look now is the Virginia Tech helmet ratings. So they publish them online and you get to see, I think it's ranked out of five stars. So which helmets perform best in their specific types of tests. Um, And then, yeah, uh, safety features. So things like MIPS, which is, uh, it's like a a slip plane. So it it sits inside the helmet and is designed to help protect your head uh, from angular impacts, just to help dissipate that force. Those sorts of things is you know are going to be generally around on oh, helmets. What I think the cheapest we've seen is probably around about eighty pounds. Yeah, about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and all of those things are going to hopefully add up to a safer helmet. I'd say probably one of the other really important things though is to make sure it fits properly because mm-hmm. every helmet, like shoes, every shoe has a different size and shape, and you know based on different shaped feet helmets. You know, different brands have different sized holes. Some are more round, some are more oval, some of them are a little bit square at the front, some of them are a bit more sort of rounded at the front, I guess. <laughs> so you've got to try them on. Yeah, definitely. And there's definitely certain, I, I would imagine you uh, would know what brands fit your head well. 
Yeah, I'm 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 pretty ambidextrous when it comes oh. to. I'm quite lucky, and <laughs> actually, I fit in a lot of helmets like quite comfortably. Yeah, because another thing you can obviously do when you buy a helmet is that often they have different pads, so you can change the pads around to sort of get a slightly better fit. But um, I'm actually yeah, pretty pretty um, yeah unattached to helmets okay yeah. well they've got to a really good place as well in terms of like uh the retention cradle mm. and how much adjustment those offer because i think um originally we were just yeah when i started it was just basically cramming pads into a helmet to try and make your head fit into there uh and thankfully that is not the case now so you can you know ratchet up that adjustment to make it fit securely on your head and uh, as tom said heads are all different shapes and sizes mm. so it is absolutely worth trying before you buy yeah. and speaking to someone in a shop because those guys handle that sort of product day in day out and they know better than anyone else um so they can advise if you you know go in there and they you know can just sort of size you up and maybe do have a more sort of ovalized shaped head a certain brand's going to work better for you it's always very tempting to buy things off the internet because it tends to be quite a bit cheaper you can get really good deals but i would say of anything helmets is one of the mm. things that you really should especially if you're first helmet and you're really getting into it go to a shop and get fitted properly because it is like the most critical of the safety critical items and if down the line you're like oh i know that like the bell helmets fit me well or Azira fits me well then maybe you could go and buy that online yeah. down the line if you really didn't want to sort of go back into a shop but for your first helmet especially go to a shop Nice. I made exactly that mistake. Mm. And I had a pock that fitted me really well for my road and gravel cycling helmets. So I thought I'll get a pock mountain biking. And even within the same brand, they have slightly different fits. Yep. For, and you get a headache. So you live and learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not what you need. <laughs> so there's also seems to be two main types of mountain biking helmet as well. Sort of a open face or trail lid and then a full face helmet. What would you recommend for beginner mountain bikers? Assuming that uh, when you're starting out, you're just kind of doing trail riding to, you know, um, a bit of up, a bit of down, nothing too extreme, then an open face should suffice. I mean, there's going to be, unfortunately, those crashes where your you know, face might impact the ground, but hopefully those are few and far between. Um, a full face is going to add protection, but it does limit breathability. You will get really hot and it's quite stifling. It's quite a claustrophobic place to be. Um, and those are great for the more extreme end of the sport, so downhill, enduro, things like that. But yeah, assuming you're just trail riding, a decent open face lid should sort of tick most of the boxes, I think. Nice. And as within a lot of cycling, there are sort of subgenres within genres. You can't just buy a mountain bike, you buy a type of mountain bike. So with, with open face helmets, you know, there's everything from like super sort of lightweight, cross-country, almost road helmets, all the way to ones that actually cover quite a lot of your head, you know. So you might even cover the ears, some of them might go really far down the back of the head. So again, it comes down to the fit and the comfort you want out of it. If you're going to do long distances all day out on the bike, maybe get a slightly lightweight helmet. But if you're going to be sort of hitting the woods and trying a few jumps and skidding about and having a bit of a laugh, maybe one with a bit more protection that goes further down the back of your head and maybe in front of the ears as well. That's another area where they sort of increase a bit of protection. It's worth looking for. Great. And so sticking with the head theme, I wear for riding... Um, whether that's protecting you from things flicking up from the trail or sort of weather increment conditions and things, what would you recommend? Sort of glasses or goggles? What's best um, if you're just setting out? I mean, we both ride in glasses, don't we? Ninety-five percent of the time, I mean, I'm, glasses. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure if I don't, I'd, my eyes are streaming, mm. so then I can't see, which makes it even <laughs> more terrifying. I'm already scared as it is. <laughs> so as soon as you you know you factor that in, then yeah, it's absolutely petrifying. But glasses. I mean, there's so, some of the glasses now you can buy, there's so much coverage, they're not far off what you would get out of wearing a goggle. Mm. But they're way less um, they're way less annoying than mm. using a <laughs> pair of goggles. You know, goggles aren't comfy or nice to wear as you're pedaling up a hill. They're sweaty, they're going to probably fog up. They're also, if you're not wearing them, they're probably around your neck, which can be kind of annoying too. Mm. Um, yeah. You could argue that in terms of protection and coverage, you can't beat them. But equally now, I think glasses on the whole are way, way bigger than they used mm. to be. Definitely sort of, you know, 10 years ago. So you still get quite a lot of protection. You still get a decent amount of coverage, but you get way more in terms of breathability. They won't fog up quite as much. You don't need to take them off as much. You probably don't need to faff around cleaning the lenses quite as much. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably start with, with glasses, for sure. There's a couple of sort of maybe plus sides to the whole goggle thing, um, other than sort of the amount of protection. 
Um, if you're wearing a full face helmet, they tend to fit a bit better because often the arms of a sunglass will can be a little bit uncomfortable if you're in like a really sort of foam or like inner padding heavy helmet. Um, and also, I hate to say it from an aesthetic point of view, like full face and glasses is, you know, like it's totally fine. It totally works. But like generally speaking, like there's an image which... Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. But the other thing along along with that, though, is that, um, and I'm going to, that sounds really judgmental, I do apologise, it's not, they, 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 they work better with full-face helmets. Well, they're designed, yeah. they're designed to work. They're designed to work with yeah. them. Oh, that's the thing. I mean, I was assuming we were talking beginners wearing open-face helmets. If, yeah, ex- yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it's sort of, one goes better with the other, you know, yeah. you, you've got to, if you're wearing a full-face helmet, you're probably less bothered about getting sweaty riding up a hill, you're yeah. potentially push in or on an uplift or something like that and at that point going for goggles makes total mm-hmm. sense if we're saying yeah you're riding an open face helmet probably start with glasses yeah and if you haven't invested in a front mud guard then maybe uh get get some goggles because you're going to be <laughs> blinded by our beautifully muddy trails in a matter of seconds I mean, good goggles generally tend to be a bit cheaper as well um and they often have really easy replaceable cheap lenses so they're a you know that they are sort of a good option in that respect as well. Um, and if they've got foam along the top of the lens, whip that out, in my opinion, because that only hampers the ability. Not the bit that sits in your face. No, 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 no. You no. don't it, just have the plastic frame pushed <laughs> into your face. There's like often like a it, it would sit um, horizontal to the ground, like a little bit of foam, sort of in between the the facial foam and the frame of the gla- of, of the goggle. Take that out, and your breathability improves a lot. I find just a little little, little top tip. Nice. There we go. And when we're saying glasses, are we talking like sunnies? Are we talking like clear framed glasses? Depends where our listeners live, I guess. Mm. If if they're on our little island, <laughs> clear lenses, 100% all the time, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. And I guess if you're going like in and out of trees and stuff as well, you don't want to like rolled into the yeah. woodland and then not be able to see anything. Yeah, there's some really good photochromic lenses, so they change, obviously, as they're dependent upon the light. Um, so they get darker, obviously, in the sunshine, and then they lighten up as you go into the darkness. Um, but they do add cost. So I think going down that simple route of just a, a clear lens, you can pick up some really cheap glasses with a clear lens. Some of them, I don't know if they still do them at... Um, do you remember the ones at Madison where you could buy... Mm. I can't remember. They were relatively cheap as think cycling things go, yeah. but you'd have like fifty lenses. Yeah, yeah. Still, I just wow. picked up a set last week. Okay, um, it comes with like a really nice mirrored lens, a really nice clear lens, and an in between a lens as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and they, they've got actually the ones I have. I think they are called the Crypto. Um, I don't know how much they cost, but they do do cheaper versions as well, and they're big frames. Yep, and they're pretty cool. Good coverage. I mean, I've got one friend who does ride in like lab specs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. yeah they work, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go down Screwfix or yeah. other DIY shops and whatever, and pick up um, glasses from there. Nice. That's also a good one if you need prescriptions. Um, quite often, the safety specs. I was running with a friend who has prescription glasses, and he gets the safety spec ones because they're a lot cheaper. Another top tip there. Okay. Full of it, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely just, yeah. Fountain. Not just a pretty face. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> apart from helmets and glasses, what other sort of safety equipment would you recommend somebody just setting out or would you sort of draw the line there? If you have the budget, then some knee and elbow pads. Um, and depending on what you're... Uh, what the type of riding you're doing, uh, it should probably dictate the level of safety protection you get. So level one is the lower rating and level two is higher rating. So generally they're going to be slightly thicker, bigger pads, a bit more coverage potentially, um, but should mean you're slightly better protected in a crash. Um, And then it is just weighing up um, how much protection do you want because it potentially could limit then... um, how comfy or easy they are to ride in. So if you're looking to do really long distances, not planning on hitting the deck a whole lot, maybe go for something slightly thinner that's going to be comfier when you're out for an entire day. Yeah, that makes sense. And you can also get things like back protectors. Is that something that, like the full face, is better towards the more extreme end of the sport? Or is it something, if somebody's just starting out and they want a bit of extra confidence, that they would benefit from? Where where do they sort of sit? So it's a bit of a sliding scale. Like I, you know, most of my riding is, I don't ride downhill. I kind of ride enduro, but also a lot of trail stuff. And I actually wear a back protector a lot of the time now, just because the the, the modern ones, they're so comfortable 
they don't they're not restrictive they're not like a nightmare to wear and it's kind of like why why wouldn't i they're a little bit sweatier that's the downside uh, and again it comes it comes to that scale you know if you're going to go and do like a a 30 40 50k sort of ride across the moors probably wouldn't wear it likewise if i'm going to go and hit some steeper tracks in the woods even if i'm just riding my sort of 130 mil, 140 mil bike i probably would anyway just because it doesn't really take any weight, anything take away from it. Yeah. No, other than a bit of warmth and a bit of sweat, just drink a bit more and, you know, it, it, it's fine. Expect to be smelly. Expect to be smelly. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's an, it is an added cost. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an added cost because they're, they're not particularly cheap, but um, it's it's one of those things to sort of, I would say, make a bit of a judgment on yourself. Yeah, I mean, when I started, you literally, if you were going to wear a back protector, it was the whole upper body armour thing and you looked well, like yeah. a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're in a much better place now. You can just get the vest, so it's just mm. the back protector, or you can include it with shoulder and elbow as well, so you kind of get the whole shebang. And I think if you've got the cash, it makes sense to to invest in as much protection as you can because it just means that while you are learning especially, like you said, you do have that extra peace of mind. You, you know, when you do hit the deck, hopefully it'll protect you from a trip to hospital, mm. hopefully. Fingers crossed. Touch, touch wood. wood. <laughs> and then the last thing on the real safety aspect of things, I put, I thought about gloves because quite often when you're binning it, your hands are sort of the first thing to hit the deck. If you go into like a, well, it's probably not meant to be. It's probably meant to try and roll or something. Mm. <laughs> Was that would that be something that you would advise for like all beginners to wear gloves all of the time? I think I would Is it go, personal preference? I don't think I'd ride, um, I very rarely ride a mountain bike without gloves. Mm. Um, I know some there's, you know, some people do, don't like riding gloves. Obviously they detract from the feel because you have another bit of movable material between you and the bike. Um, but I would say 99% of the time a pair of gloves is a very wise thing to do and I'd put it alongside eyewear as something really? I wouldn't ride without. They're not massively expensive either. No, no. And you can get some really good ones for under 30 quid. Nice. Um, so, yeah, like Tom said, it makes total sense. Cool. So moving on from safety equipment to what other things you should think about wearing. Do you need to have mountain bike specific clothing? There's like so much out there. Do you choose to wear it or do you sort of go for more casual kit, sort of everyday wear? Mountain bike specific clothing has some mountain bike specific features that in theory make it potentially specific <laughs> to riding a mountain bike nailed it <laughs> so in in an, in a perfect world like a mountain bike jersey or mountain bike base there or pair of trouser shorts will offer some performance benefit in some respect over an equivalent pair of shorts or t-shirt or whatever it is from maybe a non mountain bike specific company and that's largely down to the cut i probably wouldn't sort of go down the cotton t-shirt and jorts route um so i would aim for like a more technical material um but it's not you, you don't have to you just might find that you know the the slightly longer drop to, drop at the back or slightly longer in the arms has a better cut than a generic outdoor activity base layer or, or, or jacket or jersey from someone else doesn't mean that a more generic one that potentially is going to be a little bit cheaper won't work at all. It'll still work. Yeah, I mean, I would say I wouldn't stress too much about going out there and having the latest, no. whatever mm. it might be that's going to, you know, get you hundreds of pounds into debt. I'd, you know, focus on the helmet, a bit of armour, body armour, knee pads, you know, back protector, whatever it might be. And then, like Tom said, don't necessarily go down the sort of the super casual T-shirt, jeans route because they're not great, especially if you're riding any kind of distance. But you could go to somewhere, like one of the big brand uh, outdoor shops, find something that will work for, you know, whether that's hiking, walking, yeah. whatever it might be. And generally, there's a good amount of crossover, mm. a decent amount of overlap, where you'll still get a decent amount of functionality. The cut will be good enough that it'll still work on the bike, or, or at least it should work pretty well on the bike. And you don't have to drop quite as much cash. Mm. Yeah, I found that. I got a pair of hiking trousers that were recommended to me. They're mm. still like really nice and stretchy, stretchy but still quite figure-hugging, um, sort of just tapering the yeah. cuffs around your ankles a little bit. And they were great for like 25 quid rather than something three times exactly. the price mm. just when I was starting out. And also in the winter, like if you're getting covered in mud and things are getting wrecked and worn and um, just makes it that little bit easier when you're starting out yeah. rather than sort of forking out for really expensive. But also really good stuff once you try that. <laughs> That's the other thing I think in the winter. Why it's, yeah. yeah, when when the elements are properly against you, having 
having the good stuff then you know the the really good waterproof that mm. generally make a difference i think maybe that's when you sort of if you're more serious about it and you you know you are going to spend more time out in the hills investing in that stuff as and when but yeah to start off with i think um like you said trying to find something that sort of works but isn't necessarily specific to the sport is totally fine great so does a similar sort of thing apply to footwear like can you wear your normal trainers or hiking boots or would you recommend something that is definitely mountain biking specific for that this uh so i ride clipless pedals Okay. Um, so if you're going to ride clipless pedals... Can we jargon bust We that? can jargon bust oh. clipless pedals. So <laughs> what are clipless pedals are a pedal with like a, a clipped mechanism. Um, Hold on, but you said clipless. I know. <laughs> Why am I this <laughs> um, So the, the pedal has like a, a sprung clip mechanism on it. Um, and then on your shoe, you have a, a metal cleat of varying shapes, depending on the, on the brand. Um, and they effectively... Uh, attach your shoe to the pedal um, and to get your foot off the pedal you twist to sort of pop out of this spring and they're called clipless pedals because back in the day people rode with toe clips which are like little plastic or sort of um, uh, straps that went over the pedal and over your shoe and you sort of slipped your feet in and they're a bit sketchy because very sketchy bit sketchy <laughs> um, and so the the SPD Shimano pedaling dynamics pedal range and all that sort of jazz came out and they were called clipless because you didn't have a toe clip but they ah. still created this link like a physical join between your shoe and your pedal um, if that sounds terrifying being attached to your bike uh, don't worry. It's really not that bad. <laughs> uh, it's not that bad. Um, within within a couple of uh, traffic lights worth of stops, you'll you'll get yes. the muscle memory. <laughs> um, but there are of course flat pedals which are incredibly popular um, on on mountain bikes. So yeah, if you're going to go down the clipless route like I do, then you will need cycling specific shoes, and there are obviously a wide range of those. Everything from super lightweight, racy, stiff things all the way to like super comfortable, big, uh, heavier, but like really like luxurious feeling places to be but on the flat side of things rob i know you ride clips a lot but you also do ride flats significantly yeah. more than i do yeah so i think again um we've, we're at a point now where i think uh yeah a long time ago you just basically wear the same trainers you'd you know You've go on yeah yeah ride on your skateboard you know exactly the same as those but the reality is they weren't great they were okay, but they weren't brilliant. Your feet would take an absolute battering because mm. they're so flexible and, you know, yeah, there's no real protection built in or anything like that. So just like we've seen the advances in clipless shoes, similar can be said for flat pedals, uh, flat pedal shoes, most specifically around the amount of grip that's generated by the soles. So it's a really tacky rubber, you know, uh, 510 who are known in the climbing world started producing soles for, I think it was intense at the time. Um, they, they wanted to create a flat pedal shoe and they helped with a the rubber. Then they obviously brought out their own shoes themselves and have done for the last, God, yeah, 20 odd years. Uh, and you literally can't beat them in terms of traction on the pedal. There's a few other brands out there now uh, that have similar levels of grip. Um, and that connection between your foot and the pedal, if you're not going down the, the clipless route, it makes such a world of difference to bike control. Uh, you know, it can feel super sketchy if you can't feel keep your feet on flat pedals when you're bumping through something, you know, really rough. But having a good connection just makes the world a difference. Great. So I think that's everything covered off in terms of what you would wear, safety equipment. Oh, oh I wanted to, I wanted to bring in padded shorts. Oh, yes. Because it's something that, you know, some people to will To chamois wear. or not to chamois? To chamois or not to that chamois. That is the question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a chamois. Just among friends, though. Yeah, just among <laughs> friends. Um, padded shorts are obviously, you, you have like a this pad that sits around, you know, between your bum and your saddle. And it's, it's, there's a bit of a split as to whether you sort of get on with them or mm. don't get on with them. They all have different shapes, they all have different sort of thicknesses and padding sizes. And then do you get ones with braces that come over your shoulder? Do you have ones that are like little, basically, undershorts? Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a conversation. Rob? Yeah. Care to share? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your underwear. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Um, so it depends on the time of year. No, no. <laughs> no, when I ride, when I ride my underwear, uh, yeah, I'll always wear a chamois. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the time. I, I'm all about comfort. Nice. If you can make life easier, make things more comfy, then yeah, absolutely. Go for a chamois. I think um, there's a, yeah, there's an element of subjectivity. I think, you Definitely. know, everyone's mm -hmm. different shape sizes some pads will work for some people some you know some some won't so 
if you're in a fortunate position like us, you get to try loads and you, you work it out pretty quick. But again, it's one of those things that's probably worth going in and speaking to someone who knows about it in a bike shop, asking for advice around these sorts of things mm. and what they potentially recommend. Because there might be some um, that the padding's relatively minimal. So it's quite an easy sort of transition to kind of get used to it. Uh, and it might not have too much of an influence, add a bit of comfort, but not be so uncomfortable because of, you know, it's restrictive fits or, or whatever it might be. So it's trying to find that sort of, that happy medium, yeah. I suppose. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. And if you're coming into it for mountain biking, gravel riding, you might already have some of these shorts already that you can just wear or wear under a pair of baggy yeah. shorts. Or yeah. you can look at the mountain bike specific ones that tend to be sort of thinner, thinner and meshier to allow yeah. a bit more breathability with a second layer. Um, definitely not to be worn on their own. No. <laughs> no, they are no. quite revealing um but yeah I, I tend to wear um like bib short ones so ones where there's a, a brace that goes over your shoulders and that just means that you don't have like a, a tighter waistband around around your waist where your shorts are also um and that just sort of adds all day comfort um and if you've got a bit of a gut as well they don't sort of add as much pressure um but in the summer i do like to wear like a little liner short um, with a pad just because it gives the back you know like if you're riding without a pack and you can just have like yeah. your jersey flapping in the back oh it's, it's delicious it's lovely <laughs> um but it's worth noting that you know padded shorts do wear out over time as well um so they can become less comfortable as i discovered yesterday when i was riding in a pair of quite old oh, I was like, oh jesus christ this is uncomfortable oh, um so yeah but i, I they're, they're worth they're worth wearing and that's sort of you know often like a lycra undershort if you're wearing sort of like big like cotton boxes or whatever, they might they they can like run up and start like chafing. So that's kind of why. I but guess equally, you could get a, you can have a short liner that's so uncomfortable. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We had there was a particular one we were discussing last mm. week, wasn't there? Where it was just <laughs> I, I rode home in it thinking, oh no, oh god, mm. the less glamorous side of kit testing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I, it was one of those ones where like, I'd rather just you know Nothing do away all. with it. Yeah, mm. it's worth talking about. There we go. I actually, I've come the other way in that I usually wear a chamois all the time for when I'm riding on my road and gravel bikes. But um, because a lot of the mountain bike rides that I'm doing at the moment are very short, I'm actually happier without a chamois. Oh, right. Because mm. yeah. you stood up more at the saddle. Yeah, because typically I'm like maybe pushing my bike up or I'm not actually pedaling that much. And then when you're actually descending, you're not really sat down that much. Mm. Um, if I'm just like going to the local woods and sessioning a bit or something. Um, so it's just easier and a bit less washing. <laughs> I'm just lazy, really. Because you ride on flat pedals, right? Yeah. So maybe we should ask you about the shoes. Oh, well. What do you think? Sorry, I know we go, we're like rewinding yeah, a good time. I kind of, of go now. both ways. Because I was so used to clipless pedals right. from pedaling on drop bar bikes, I started with that and I went and had some coaching with our local pals at Pedal Progression. And Matt said it would be a really great idea to try and learn on flat pedals. Yeah. Because then you have, you know, a lot more. Drop your heels. Exactly. I'm literally. <laughs> You're doing Sat it now. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gesturing with my hands. Um, so I learnt much better, not perfect, to drop my heels and then do certain motions that you need on the trails without the security of being clipped in or hucking and all these horrible habits that you can develop um, with clipless pedals. But now I've sort of, it depends on what bike I'm riding. I had a really fun downcountry bike last year on test and that sort of suited clipless pedals I thought yeah. much better whereas now it's getting wetter and a bit slippier and I'm trying some more difficult stuff I like the security of flat pedals and just being able to dab really easily did you go when you take your foot off the pedal and sort of I was going to say did you go straight in with buying some proper flat pedal shoes I did you I did went for some 510s oh, okay yeah, and they're great didn't double with a pair of like sketchy hiking boots or anything like that. You see, I no. mean, there's a lot, especially now, I think, with the rise of e-bikes and especially when you're at a trail centre that hires them. Mm. See, people turn up with sort of running shoes or mm. hiking boots and yeah. they're just out there mashing around on the pedals and you just watch them, their feet slowly judder forward onto their heels yeah. as they're about to, you know, enter a really rough section. You're like, oh, dear Lord, I don't yeah. want to watch. I mean, I just rode in here today through Bristol wearing a pair of sort of Chelsea work boots 
that have really terrible salt like fine for walking around yeah, in, yeah. but as soon as you put them on a cycling pedal it's just terrifying <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of makes you realize why some of these purpose-built things are so good yeah there's a reason behind it yeah yeah cool so now that we've cleared up the issue of tom shammy shall we move on to <laughs> tools and spares um so all the other bits and bobs that hopefully touch wood again you won't need whilst you're out on the trails but would be really good to have should you have the dreaded mechanical. What, Tom, is in your everyday toolkit? What's in my on little bum bag? Um, probably some food by the sounds of it. <laughs> 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 <Ought to be. laughs> so the key things are a good multi-tool. Um, now, there are loads of different multi-tools out there, but make sure if you're going to pick one that it's got all the little bits of tools that you might need on your bike. So there's no point in going out for a ride on, say, some of the new bikes have got like what would be called a Torx 30 bolt in the suspension linkage. So Torx is like a, a star-shaped um, like interface between tool and bolt. Um, and sometimes pivot bolts on a full suspension mountain bike come a little bit loose. So if your motor tool doesn't have the right tool to do it up, then it's not very much use. So I would make sure that your motor tool has all the bits of tools that you might need on it in order to fix it. And that will generally be like a 17 to 20 kind of tool multi-tool. Personally, I like the little ratchet ones these days mm. because sometimes with a bigger tool, there's less space to actually turn a tool. So I had an issue the other day where I was trying to adjust a seat post with a little Torx a T25 and I couldn't actually turn the tool more than about five or ten degrees. So infuriating. <laughs> um, so that annoyed me. So a little, uh, I like the little ratchet tools and um, they come with like little bits and drivers and stuff. So they're kind of cool. Um, I will also um, always carry, um, I don't know what the technical term is, but I call it a tubeless jibber jabber, which would be um, <laughs> your little tubeless repair strips, which are like little bacon strips, bacon strips or tubeless poos, as I've heard them called, little worms. Um, and they're really good for when you get a puncture in a tube this time. Trying not to look at Robert. <laughs> senior, <laughs> senior tech ed, Tom Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> don't know what it's called. Jibber jabber. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just write whatever you want, Tom. Oh, <laughs> they're, they're really important things. So a tubeless tire, you know, uh, do we need to do the jargon of a tubeless tire? A tire is where there's no inner tube, so like an inner butyl tube. Um, but mountain bikes these days tend to be tubeless, so you have your rim and your tire and some sealant. When you get a hole in that, the sealant, which is like a latex fuel uh, fluid, will come out of the hole because of air pressure. And if it doesn't seal, which it doesn't always seal, you want to put one of these like sticky rubber sticks through, and that kind of helps seal the tire if you do get a puncture. Plugs so the hole. Plugs the hole. That's I'm the word told I'm they're for. a bit like motorcycle tires. Car tyres are all tubeless. Oh, car tyres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Modern, yeah, and new tyres. Yeah. One of the coolest tips that somebody gave me was um, the bacon strips or anchovies or worms or whatever anchovies, you want to call yeah. them. Um, you can also get motorcycle ones, which are really thick. So if yeah. you get a really savage hole in mm. your tyre, then just carrying a couple of those can also be really good. And there's there's the tyre boots. Have you used those yet? I haven't used them in a tubeless setting. I've only used them with a tube. Okay, so they kind of go in and patch from the inside? Mm -hmm. uh, like the mushrooms. With a literally like a patch, yeah, you go across, yeah, yeah. So, so if you've got like a sidewall slash or yeah. something a bit more mm. major that you can't yeah. plug, yeah, exactly. Where you know, I think in the past we've done stuff with like taping card into it, or yeah. you know, uh, my favorite one is toothpaste, toothpaste tube. um, tubes, just yeah, cutting yeah. squares, a yeah. rail card, yeah, railway ticket, mm. uh, a fiver. Or some people <laughs> like 20 quid. Who are you like, riding with? <laughs> 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 Very bougie plasticized yeah. notes. Yeah. Nice. Use all sorts these days. Um, so yeah, those are the things I'd I'd take along. Um, and a pump as well to make sure that you can actually get your tires back up to pressure. Um pumps are a difficult one though because they're quite long and I like wearing a bum bag and they often don't really fit very easily, but a good pump is worth its weight. And what kind of pump do you need for mountain biking? Is that any different to what you might need for other things? They tend to be higher volume um, because you want to pump a lot of air in at a lower pressure. And they don't really work so well on, on road bikes where you want, say you want in like 80 PSI with mm. a big high volume pump. It's really hard to get the air in there. It takes a while. Um, it's just, yeah, it's hard work. But if you're running a mountain bike tyre, which is maybe like you're running at 20 PSI, but it's 29 by 2.6, you know, like a huge volume tyre, and you're there with like a tiny, like, roadie pump that can get up to high pressures, you, you're literally pumping hundreds of hundreds of times just to get your pressure up. So a good high volume pump, 70 to 100 centre cc's. There you go. Crikey. And would you recommend that instead of those little CO2 canisters? I would say yes, because I think... 
you you can always do it with a pump pretty much. Yeah. You, you can't necessarily reseat a tubeless tire, but if all else has failed, you can put a tube in and you know you can pump it up. Yeah. Um, the CO2 stuff works for the most part and it, it, it's, it's a really quick and easy way to inflate a tire. Good like for racing. Said, yeah, great for racing and mm. it's quick and easy to, well, hopefully potentially snap a tire back in place if you've unseated it. But once it's gone, if it hasn't worked, yeah. you're done. And if you're in the middle of nowhere and you need to get it pumped up, then... Or if you get a second puncture. Yeah. Yeah. For. So always take Double a pump. flat. Oof. Yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, a pump and some good tire levers is key. Nice. I'd probably be along the same lines. Yeah. Wicked. So any other things, if you're really competent at fixing your bike, if you might have any other sorts of mechanicals that you would carry for sort of trailside repairs? Chain tool. Chain tool or some spare links. Yeah. Quick links. Yeah. Nice and easy. Um, gear cable's always useful. Yeah. Because it can, you can use it for more than just gears. You can use it to tie stuff, you know, cable ties as well, really handy, but a gear cable can kind of do multiple things um, if you're in a bit of a bind. Yeah, bit of tape. I wrap um, duct tape around, oh, actually, I mean, it's around sunscreen because I did it for a trip. <laughs> Not much use here, but um, a bit of duct tape just wrapped around somewhere convenient is Bungie really pump. handy. Around a pump's really good, yeah. Um, Spare mech hanger. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, really important. So, it's mech hangers. Should we? Uh, yeah, let's jargon bust. Jargon bucks. Yeah. So, a mech hanger is the the little bit of metal that joins your frame to the derailleur or derailleur to the frame. Um, and quite often in the past, to some extent now, they're sort of designed to be sacrificial. So they'll bend or snap before your mech does if you have a crash. So quite often you'll have to replace them. And if your gears are a bit funny, if your gears aren't working very well, it's always worth checking your mech hangers. Mm. It can be a little bit twisted. Should um, we call it a derailleur hanger? Derailleur hanger. Our international listeners. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so taking a spare derailleur hanger and they're quite often well they were always very specific to your bike and they were always a lot of money and it was always a bit of a bone of contention because they're like 25, 30, 35 quid and they break uh, but now there's a thing called the UDH or the Universal Derailleur Hanger which is um, SRAM has developed um, and lots and lots and lots of bikes now are using a UDH and it is Universal the Universal Hooray! Derailleur Hanger um, so you can just go into a shop and just buy a UDH and it fits on Many, many new frames these days. You're like a walking glossary, aren't you? It's really it's, No, honestly, it's last really week good. he was yeah. our um, jargon-busting dictionary. There we go. Maybe that's a separate podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just get him in. <laughs> Brilliant. So any other tools that you would keep in your home workshop? I'm thinking specifically like track pumps and shock pumps. Is that something like you're not going to carry a track pump around with you whilst you're riding, but probably quite handy to have in the car or at home? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess it all depends, like you said, how sort of competent you are, but the basics of, you know, um, learning to change a tire, pump up a tube, you know, fix a puncher, that sort of thing. If you're doing it at home, a track pump makes life so much easier. It's quick and easy to do. Hopefully it'll have a gauge on. So you have a good idea about what sort of pressures you want to run, or at least you can use it to start to determine that. Decent length Allen keys. So mm. Tom sort of Oof. talked about, um, He's talked about the multi-tour. I was going to say about the multi-tour, you've got to have the bits. The bits have to fit in all the nooks and crannies on your bike because mm. that's one thing. You, you can make sure that your multi-tour has all the right bits to fit the bolts, but if it doesn't physically actually fit into those gaps... And you can turn the actual tool. Again, yeah. pointless. So, yeah, we were talking about it the other, uh, earlier, actually, because I had one where I was trying to tweak... It was a flat mount caliper on a road bike and it wasn't, the bit on the multi-tool wasn't long enough so it was butting up against the caliper so I couldn't even get it mm. in to mm. undo it. My own fault. The one I had was the, the UDH bolt. You couldn't turn at all because you, you hit the rotor to which you were trying to align the caliper to, oh. so you couldn't do it without the rotor in, but you also couldn't turn it because, and it's like, who thought this up? Who thought? Uh. That's another plus point for those little ratchets, isn't it? Because exactly. all of yeah, the bits yeah. are compatible with all the bits from my drill at home. And then I've got a little so you have extenders. extenders. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, very um, handy. But yeah, at home having having at least one set of decent Allen keys uh, and some Torx keys, as Tom mentioned earlier, having at least the key ones makes a big difference. Just because taking stuff off is just so much quicker rather than fiddling with a multi tool, which is constantly folding and yeah. flopping around and stuff like that. Instead, a solid set of Allen keys, yeah, makes the world a difference. Nice. I can see everyone just sort of like scrolling down their Christmas lists right now. Mm. <laughs> cool. So that's pretty much your tools and spares covered. 
Lastly, let's talk about kitting out your bike. So if you've just bought a new bike, you've probably got it sat there without pedals because they don't typically come with pedals or at least ones that you'd want to ride mm-hmm. off-road um, without sounding like too much of a snob. Um, we've touched on flat shoes and clipless shoes already. Would you recommend one or the other for beginner riders? Mm, this comes back to our discussion last week about should you have a full suspension or a hardtail mm. to learn on in some respects. Yeah. I mean, go I on think... Then. What's your controversial argument, Tom? Oh, go on. <laughs> I mean, I've I've never ridden flat pedals. Never? No. Never, ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just started off, I got a mountain bike and I got some clipless pedals. And wow. <laughs> look at me now. I mean, it's, we're 20 years down the line and I'm still pretty mediocre. So the moral of the story is get some flat pedals and learn how to ride a mountain bike. <laughs> but I guess you approached it from quite a different route to me, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I approached it from very, you know, I started mountain biking very much cross-country mountain biking. There you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I did too, but then I went, I sort of went. You went to the, the, the gravity side of things. Yeah. Playing in the woods. Yeah. Hitting turns, doing jumps, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So flat pedals at that point made way more sense yeah. than clipping in. Um, I think there's pluses and minuses both. In fact, so I was at, we, we did a, a, a ride at the weekend, our sort of our charity based ride uh, up in Clandegla. Nice. And, um, Al Bond, who's one of the coaches up there, so he's former World Cup racer. He races, he does hard line and all that stuff. He's an he's a phenomenal bike rider. And for so long, he was adamant that all you did was ride flat pedals. That was it. But he's he's totally switched over to clipless pedals. And I said, "Do you ever switch back now?" And he says, "Nope," because the way he approaches his riding and the way he views different techniques, he says, "I'm just better at doing them." on these and I'm more considered. So maybe there is, you know, I think you can kind of learn from both. I don't necessarily think there's a right or wrong um, answer to it, really. Uh, It's whatever you're comfortable in. It might be that you start on flat pedals and then you start to struggle with some of the things that they're not so great at. Mm. Um, A bit of that security if you're going faster on rougher tracks. And if you can't sort of uh, do anything to counter that in terms of setup and things like that, then maybe that is the logical answer is to switch over and start to attach your feet to the bike. Maybe that will make a difference. Likewise, if you start clipped in and you start to get concerned about cornering technique or maybe constantly trying to take your feet off riding steep technical sections, maybe flat pedals are the way. Or maybe it's a bit of both. You know, flat pedals in the winter, but mm. when it gets dry and faster and you know, you're sliding around less, maybe you, you clip back in. Sort of thing where it's handy to have a few pals who have different options yeah. and you can sort of test them out a little bit for yourself. And because they're not sort of cheap things, because not only do you have to get the pedals, but then especially if it's clipless, you have to get the matching shoes. And you're looking at a good um, 150 quid for either, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, a decent set. Yeah, um, you know, Shimano's cheapest sort of trail pedal now is. It's relatively affordable, maybe compared to what they used to be, or, or compared to especially their higher spec, mm. yeah, XT, XTR style pedals. Um, and likewise, on the flat pedal side, you need to, you know, try and look for the size of platform, the types of pins, and things like that that are going to make a huge difference in that foot to pedal connection. Um, but again, we could kind of go off down a rabbit hole with that one thankfully there's a whole guide on bikecradle.com <laughs> yeah, exactly. on all of your clipless and flat Nailed pedals it. there we are so what about mud guards or fenders 100% buy them straight away what kind like are there many different types to choose from so what would you go for there is there's now sort of mountain bike specific brands popping up that just offer stuff that will work on a on a proper mountain bike, on a hardtail or full suspension, and you can get front and rear. Um, so I think before maybe there were things that sort of were almost like a token gesture to try and keep <laughs> mud out your eyes, or you went down the route of trying to take something designed for commuting and yeah. kind of create some kind of Frankenstein-style mud guard that might work or might stay in place for a few rides and then wrap it around your handlebars and be massively ineffective after about you know <laughs> six hours riding downhill but yeah now you, you get ones that sit generally uh close to the front wheel around the front tire that bolts onto uh the fork lower so the lower half of the fork the bit that slides up and down on the stanchions 
and those are those are really quite effective. Um, so they're good at just stopping all the spray and stuff and that coming into your face. So if you're not going to wear glasses, especially, mm. it makes a massive difference on wet rides. Just not just how dirty you get, but also just the fact you can see. And you know that helps massively. <laughs> <laughs> Getting one of those with um, the Velcro straps as well. Yes. Um, depending on how you store or transport your bikes, mudguards are a bit annoying if they yeah. come out the front and the back of the fork. Um, so the Velcro straps just help you sort of whip them off real quick and easy. Because, um, yeah, so if yeah. you take your front wheel out and you're turning your handlebars sideways yeah. to lie your bike down in the back of your car, your mudguard then sits. And they bend and then they get out of alignment and it's a nightmare. Every single time. And you go get the hairdryer biking, out. My other half has to undo the bolts on his mudguard. Oh, it God. drives me yeah. round the bend. No, just tell him to get some Velcro straps. Velcro straps. The bolt <laughs> ones are a nice kind of cool touch, but they look the clean. Reality, I love it. Yeah. Nah, I'm out. Unless you got your van. Even when with a van, because I still I'm not I, upgrading I a to a van now. just so that we can have a proper mudguard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There are limits. So what about hydration? How are you going to carry your water with you? This is it's a, it's a real personal and situational sort of thing. You know, if I'm going to go and do like a an eight hour in the Alps, I'll take a three litre or two litre camelback uh, or you know hydration pack, like bladder in my, in my rucksack. But the reality is most of my riding is, you know, relatively short laps, maybe for a few hours at a time, but where I can loop back to the car, in which case I'll take a bottle on my bike, keep the weight on the bike, which is always nicer than having it on your back. Mm. Or controversially, quite often I don't carry anything. No tools, <gasps> no... No water, no food. Terrible. He just rides around with his mouth open, hoping it's going to rain. <laughs> catch the rain, catch the spray. Um, but the reality is, for a lot of a lot of riding, I can walk back to the car if something goes wrong, and I'll loop back and I'll grab a drink of water out of the car, and I don't have to carry it. Um, so that's my slightly controversial take. Um, if it works for the type of riding you do, and a lot of people, you know, like, if you're going to go and do like a you know a quick lap of like the Forest of Dean, you know, do Verdres like our local Blue Trail. You never more than twenty minutes walk from the car. I drink loads. Yeah, I, I pretty much if I can fit a bottle on the bike, I'll, I'll always fill it up with water. Really? Yeah. Do you drink it though? Yeah. Or do you just carry it around? No, no, no. I drink it. See, I just carry it around, and then I'm like, well, I just carried around a kilo of water. I don't know. I what... carry it around to the end, and then I'm so <laughs> thirsty, <laughs> <laughs> and you realise it's covered in uh, half the forest. Yeah. And oh, some of them have little the... caps. Little caps. They're really good. Yeah. good. Mm. A Camelback bottle is worth a twenty pound investment. Nukeproof have them. With the little plastic, oh, the big, big, big cap, yeah, yeah, definitely worthwhile for winter. I've heard some horror stories about people doing XC races and things next to fields with a lot mm. of effluent, should we say, and then ending up with some stomach issues. Very ill. Uh, that, are you sure that's not because they're trying too hard? Probably that <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> well, the story is stay away from racing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try too hard. I think it, it depends very much on on you as a person where you're riding. What you're like as a, you know, do you need to drink? Do you want to drink a lot? Do you get thirsty quick? And, you know, anything from, you know, carrying a few kilos of water on your back will work for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, if you're only going out for an hour or two, do you need to carry two litres of water? Possibly, you know, have a big, I have a big drink before I go. Um, so it depends on the person. Well, it's a camel. And as you get going, the more you ride, the more you work out kind of how your body responds. So it might be that you have a, a two litre um, bladder in your hydration pack, but you only need to fill it up for, you know, half a litre, a litre and a half, you know, whatever it might be. And that's all you need. So, yeah, it, it's just starting to get to get to grips with what, what your body demands, I suppose. Cool. So then final thing on the bike, would you consider adding any frame protection? Or does Ooh. it depend what your bike's already come with? Is that an accessory that you might be contemplating? I think if I dropped a ton of money on a really fancy bike, especially if it was carbon, mm. then, yeah, I'd totally... Mm get it all wrapped up nice. Um, that Ride Wrap or um, who's the other brand? Invisiframe. Invisiframe, that's it. Yeah, yeah. They, do the, they do the sort of, you can get the generic kits which kind of do most of it or you can get the custom kits for a frame which are a bit more expensive but you know that you're going to have everything yeah. that's potentially exposed covered up properly. Um, I think it's probably less of an issue now but it used to be massive if mm. you were going uplifting. And stuff would just get, mm. you know, Scratched scratched to shreds. Oh, and yeah, and if you, you know, like most people, if you're looking to sell your bike in a couple of years' time, trying to look after it the best you can makes total sense. It's a small investment, you know. Yeah. Similar with um, security, home security, and stuff like that. You know, uh, we actually were in a meeting not so mm. long ago with a brand who happened to do one of the the brands that they distribute 
is a lot brand and they recommend spending roughly 10% of your bike's value. Mm. Was it 10%? Yeah, that's what they sort of... 10% suggest, of yeah. your bike's value on locks and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think um, looking after your pride and joy, if that's going to be, you know, your main hobby, it's a massive investment. Mm. It's yeah. huge. So looking after it, it, yes, it's a bit of extra cash, but if you can, then I think it makes mm. sense. A lot of those like frame kits that you talked about, you know, ride ride wrap and the um, InvisiFrame, they they offer a lot of protection for your paint against sort of scratches and scuffs. Like if you're dropping your bike, and they offer a little bit of impact protection. Mm. But I think if I was going to, as I say, like buy like a a pretty nice like carbon bike which didn't have much down tube protection, so that's yeah. a tube that goes from near the fork to the cranks. You want to keep that sort of protected against rock strikes. You know, like mm. gravel bikes don't come with it, and I find it really weird because I get a lot of rock strikes on my gravel bike. Yeah. Um, and so you can get slightly beefier um, frame, you know, down tube protecting sort of things that you sort of either stick on or strap on or whatever. And I, I would probably do that yeah. um, for sure. Maybe just concentrate on the areas that you know are going to get the most. Yeah, that area is almost specifically. And quite often, a lot of bikes will get a lot of um, rub on the chain and seat stays, so the rear mm. triangle, um, you know, from your heels quite a lot of the time. So if you're noticing that happening, I would probably try and protect those as well, especially if... As Rob says, if you're trying to keep the bike nice so that you might be able to sell it down the line, I would wrap those up from 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 you for sure. And chain stays specifically because the amount of, you know, when your chain's flapping around, if you're going over rough stuff, it quickly just chips away at the paint mm. and it's also just so noisy. Mm. Yeah. And that's grim. No one likes a noisy bike. No. So, yeah, you can just get the, the relatively cheap tape, chuck on there, damp it nicely, or wrap an old inner tube around it. It looks yeah. a bit naff, but... Does, does the, the job. job. Yeah. Does the job. Nice. Well then, hopefully that covers all the accessories you might have thought about buying to go with your new mountain bike, including the essentials and digging into some extra nice-to-haves that you might want to pick up along the way. As always, we have plenty more where this came from on bikeradar.com, so click through the link in the show notes to read more on Trail Essentials. Do subscribe and give us a rating if you haven't already, and ping us your techie questions at podcast at bikeradar.com for us to answer in a future episode. Do join us next week where we're going to be joined by a very exciting mountain biking VIP to talk about the more experiential side of getting into mountain biking, from where to ride to who to ride with. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 